Very good. We had a great time last night. I don't know whether you noticed it, but we also uh, have the convenience of an extra restroom over here at the corner. That's not going to be here every week, just just because we had it out here for last night. But anyway, uh, maybe you didn't notice that. What I'm talking about, there's a porta potty over here, but that's okay. We we could yeah. Anyway, facilities are open here. Uh, anyway, um, as the kids are gathering. I do want to let you know where we've been. Eric's already mentioned that, that we're going through the book of Corinthians, first book of Corinthians. Uh, and, and so far in our journey, we've been through the first six chapters. Today, we're starting uh, verse 12 of chapter 6. And, and this, this is kind of a, I, I don't know, there's a kind of a transition in the, in the scriptures naturally in Paul's letter where Paul, first of all, in the first six chapters deals with problems. And, and then in chapter 7, he switches to answering questions that this young Corinthian church uh, has for Paul. And so he begins to answer questions. So we're going to take a, a break uh, next week. Uh, or I'm going to take a break. You all get to come and listen to another sermon. But Caleb Hansen is going to preach for us next Sunday. He, he had an opportunity, actually was preparing something for a class. And I, I like to, to give them an opportunity uh, I know that's the heart of the congregation has been supporting these young men and uh, actually all our young people that are looking at ministry. We've got uh, several that are working with our children's programs and other things. So uh, next week, Caleb Hansen is going to be uh, preaching for us. So what are you doing all week long? You're praying for Caleb. Well, I was going to say me, but that's okay. You can still pray for Caleb, especially since he's the one that's going to uh, to be preaching next. Well, I'm excited about that. I love these guys and their enthusiasm. They're loving Jesus and, and they're doing good things uh, with, with youth. Uh, both Caleb and um, uh, Kevin are working with our middle schoolers, I think. Is that right, guys? Okay. Is he doing all right? Okay. I got some head nods. So anyway, uh, we love these guys and, and so I'm excited about Kevin having this opportunity. Let me continue on with that thought. Just, just kind of a review. Here, here are some of the things that Paul heard and they were addressing. This is where we've been. First of all, it was over divisions in the church. And it was over leadership. Hey, I, I, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Cephas. And, and, and actually, it caused jealousies. It, it, was, it was not just a simple, hey, I really like Paul or I really like Cephas. It wasn't that. It was actual divisions you know, to where it was causing, Paul later says, jealousies and, and, and you know, controversies. It, it, was, it was actually divisions. People were divided over them. And so Paul addressed that, reminded them, hey, you're all in Christ. And, and matter of fact, you all share the same spirit, the spirit of God working in us, chapter 2. Uh, later on, over the same topic, he said, man, this idea that you are dividing uh, amongst yourselves is an indication that you're all immature, uh, which I think is a great place where we look at the Scripture and say, okay, we're to be maturing in Christ. We, we don't just uh, set dormant in our relationship with Christ, but we're called to grow. That was Paul's expectations of, of the Corinthians. So this immaturity was a problem. Uh, later on, we saw that another, another thing that needed to be dealt with by Paul was, I, and I think the topic was, you all are not... Uh, working uh, dis discipline within the church 
because there's this person who is involved in sexual immorality and you need to deal with him was the point. Uh, also, one other problem was disputes. There was, there was some tension amongst believers. How could that be? You know, walking into the church, we're all so perfect. We're loving one another. But no, Paul was saying in the Corinthian church, there was disputes between believers, even to the point that I'm going to sue you kind of thing. So Paul comes in and says, don't be involved in that. Matter of fact, I think that's another evidence of immaturity in the body. But, and, and therefore, Paul is saying, hey, listen, when you're dealing with this kind of immaturity, you deal with it within the body, okay? Uh, and the final, the final uh, topic that Paul addresses before he switches to just answering the questions is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read the first two verses. We're going to take all the rest of the verses of chapter 6. But let me start here two, uh, with verse 12 and 13. Here's what Paul says. He says, I have the right to do anything. That's what the Corinthians say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Uh, Paul here uses uh, maybe even a theology that the Corinthians have embraced uh, in, in the, the repeated statement we, we hear in 12 and 13, that that statement that says, uh, I, I have the right to do anything. Uh, another way we might hear it is, everything is permissible. permissible. Now Paul, uh, I, and I, I think this is even more so important, is, is that he first addresses the main problem that they're facing. Definitely it's sexual immorality, but there is a problem, and the problem is this, they are abusing freedom. They're abusing freedom. And so as he deals with this, this uh, foundational problem, I want to start there as well. I think it's important for us to begin there. And, and so here's the first point. We cannot abuse the freedom that we've been given through Jesus. We cannot abuse the freedom we've given through Jesus. The Corinthians were abusing this freedom. Uh, and, and obviously it has come through the statements and the messages of, of Paul, which is the gospel message. Uh, it, it, and somehow they've come to this point of just saying, from Paul's message, I have the right to do anything. That, that's, that's the believers, you know, that's, that was kind of what, what they were operating by as a body. I could do whatever. I, I, could do, I have the right to do anything. And, and so what, how is it that, that these people would have come to that conclusion? Well, let's, let's go back and think about the gospel message. Is this statement true? We are no longer under the law but grace. Is that true? We are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're no longer under that Old Testament law, but we're under grace. So Paul was very clear of, of, of saying that, not necessarily here in Corinthians, but boy, he said that to others, and that's been part of his, his gospel message. And, and because we're under grace and not under the law, uh, there is no longer any condemnation. Would Paul say that? 
There is no longer any condemnation. We have freedom, in, we have freedom from sin. In that, boy, all that we'd say, yes, that's true, that's right, that's exactly right. We have a freedom from sin. Man, we were even singing. If we, if we took a theology from one of the songs we were singing, man, we were singing about freedom. Freedom, God is, I can't remember that, I can't repeat, repeat the words, but in the song, it, it's, it was singing about that freedom, right? Freedom, you, you have given us freedom, and, and so... Somehow the Corinthians had ran with that freedom. Oh, well, there's no condemnation in sinfulness. We have freedom. I have the right to do anything. Okay, are we all on board? We can't have that attitude. <laughs> we can't have that attitude. Or we need to understand the full message. Matter of fact, I think Paul addressed the Romans in the same way. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Because he asked the Romans this question. What? Should we continue in sin so that grace might increase? He, he flat out asked them that question. Should we continue in sinfulness? And, and let's, let's do some thinking here. Grace is a wonderful thing. Don't you agree? Oh, man, amazing grace is what we sing about. Therefore, let's put this logically uh, all together. If we continue in our sinfulness, if we increase in sinfulness, what does that mean? More grace. That's a good thing, right? So we increase in sin so we can have more grace. And that's what Paul's asking. Should we continue in sin so that grace might abound? No. No. Paul, Paul matter of fact, responds to the Romans, no. So they, they also have to be addressed with this idea of the freedom that we're in. And the idea of living in grace with that freedom. Uh, the truth is this. That, that the freedom uh, was absolutely uh, causing them uh, to, to, to disgrace, disgrace, and dishonor God. Disgrace and dishonor God. Now, the freedom was the reason for the Corinthians boasting in chapter 5 or 6. I, I didn't really express that or go through that as much when we went through it. But 5, 6, remember in chapter 5, they addressed the topic of the man who was involved in the congregation in this uh, sexual immorality. Uh, it basically says that this son was involved or sexually involved with dad's wife, whether dad's deceased or anything else like that. It, it, it even mentioned that even the pagans looked at this and raised their eyebrows. I say, I can't believe he's involved in that. And yet it was being involved within the church. A, a, a type of incest was going on in the church and they were boasting about it. I believe the th what they were boasting about is, hey, it's just that. Hey, we have the right to do anything. Look at us. Woo! So that's where their boasting was come from, had come from. You know, basically what, what they're saying is, man, we could indulge in our desires. We could indulge in our appetites. It included food here. You know, the, the idea that I get hungry, I get hungry, I could take care of that. By, by eating or taking in food. And, and I'll take care of that need. But there's other appetites. And the concern here is that sexual appetite. Uh, I, I think it's, man, the timing of this is just perfect. That the end, towards the end of October and, and throughout November, several weeks in November, it's, it's rut season. It's deer season. And, and I know, man, I, I don't hunt deer. I, I am saturated with guys around me who hunt deer. 
and they're talking about it all the time. And I understand why, you know, people used to tell me, said, be careful when you're driving home this time of year. Why? Because the deer are crazy. They're, they've lost their minds. They will run out in front of your vehicle. And they, they don't have the tendency of doing it. They've lost their minds because this is that time uh, where, where uh, the, 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 the drive is in the bucks. And this is the great time to be uh, hunting the bucks because they're, they're right out there. They're not careful. They're not elusive anymore. They're out of their minds. And they are, they are existing according to the desires that's planted in them. And, and, and so it, it, it's kind of funny that that's happening right now. And then we're dealing with this passage because that, you know, we are not to live like bucks. <laughs> we're not to live by our drives and our passions. Matter of fact, Paul would say living by your appetites, living by your desires is not beneficial. That's his added line. The, the Corinthians would say, hey, I have the right to do anything. He says, but not everything's beneficial. Then they repeat it. I have the right to do anything. But he says, but I cannot be mastered by anything, just anything. You see, be clear on this. We have the right or, or we have been given freedom from sin. We have been given freedom from sin, but not a freedom to sin. Man, embrace that because that's what the Corinthians were getting. We have a freedom from sin, saved from sin, but not a license to sin. We have not been given freedom only to enslave ourselves again to our own impulses, to be mastered by our desires. Big question there is why? And that's where Paul continues on in the next following verses. And he, he basically answers why, and the answer is this. Jesus. The, the, the answer in, in the next several verses, I believe foundationally, the answer is because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Because of Jesus, we must no longer be held captive to our desires. Now, now listen, I'm going to let Paul say it for you and then we're going to go back through it. But it's in verses 14 through 19 as we follow through these verses. 14 through 19, pick up again where we left off after 13. It's, here's what Paul says. By his power, by God's power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your brothers, no, excuse me. Oh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who, who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Again, the answer is Jesus. And, and the truth is this, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, if, you've, if you're finding your confidence for salvation is in Christ, 
and, and you've received him, then you are connected to Jesus. Understand that. that. That we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves believers, we worship him because we are connected to him. Now, now in 14, he goes back, he says, man, he brings up the resurrection. As a matter of fact, our perspective is, and, and our joy and our hope is this, then when this life is over, we're going to be raised to, to new life, right? I mean, we're going to be raised to that life we were promised. Resurrection is a part of us. But matter of fact, that resurrection has already begun. I, I mean, Eric sang about it in, in that resurrection. He's already spoke about it. He used part of my sermon already. Can you believe that guy? Uh, speaking about resurrection, we have resurrection power. What is that? That is Christ living in me, the one who was raised from the dead. Matter of fact, in the beginnings, many of us, when we were baptized at the very beginnings, remember what was taking place. I mean, is that activity of faith that has brought us there, that has put our, their, our confidence in Jesus for that salvation. But when we step in here and, and, and that baptism is taking place, what's, what's happening? When that, that person is laid down into the water and immersed, what do we say? That person of sin is being buried. That person of sinfulness is done. It's ended. And then what is it when, when they're brought out of the water? It is being raised into a new life with Jesus. Into a new life in Jesus. It is, it is in, a, in a way, a commitment ceremony for us. If, if you look at it that way, it's a commitment ceremony. I'm receiving Jesus. I'm living Jesus today. In, in some ways, I even liken it to a, to a wedding ceremony. I mean, the, the commitments are being made one to the other. We promise to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. There it is in the wedding ceremony. What's, what's interesting is it, later on it, it likens uh, that, that relationship uh, to be like what was stated in Genesis. When God brought man and woman together, the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. It's actually used later on in this passage. Ephesians 5, when he's talking about marriage. If you want to look there, past, uh, I think it's like verse 28, uh, where he is speaking about the two will become one flesh. He said that's exactly what he's brought to us through Jesus. Is that intimate of a relationship? Christ in you. And, and he is the reason for your resurrection. And, and we are intimately connected with Jesus. Therefore, Paul asked the question in our passage, then, then shall I take the members of Christ that's existing in me and unite them with a prostitute? Easy answer, right? Well, especially when you throw Christ in there. No. No way. Never, Paul says. Paul says never. Now, the, the idea that he brings up prostitution is a prominent Corinthian problem. Actually, Athens and other places as well. It, it is a, a huge problem for believers because it was, it was welcomed. It was a part of the economy of Corinth. Matter of fact, there was a temple there in Corinth, and it said that it had like 1,000 prostitutes, both male and female prostitutes. It was prominent, and it was part of the, the wealth of Corinth. 
And, and matter of fact, in reading and studying this week, back in Athens, well before Jesus came, uh, there was, there was a, a government official who basically made the statement that prostitution was important for their community because it helped to resolve adultery. It, it, it did. It was resolving adultery because without prostitution, there were men going after other men's wives. And there was wives going after other, men, uh, other wives' husbands. Adultery was ongoing. So what's, how do we deal with this? Tell them to stop it? No. We, we provide prostitutes. We provide prostitutes. And these prostitutes were slaves. And, and they were brought in, and, and again, a big part of the, the economy. To us today, you know, I mean, we might not have the big problem with prostitution. You know, I would just say within our community, possibly, but even more so, it, it is this, this idea of, well, let, let's put what, what is completely moral and right before God. What is that? It, it is that sexual relationship is meant for uh, the marital commitment. It is between a husband and a wife. That, that, that's the God-given uh, reason and purpose and place for it. Therefore, uh, within anything beyond that, sexual immorality. Easiest way to put it. Anything beyond uh, that relationship with your spouse is sexual immorality. Prior to marriage, it is sexually immoral. It, it, it goes wrong. Uh, and, and understand this, because, why, why? Because it's just dirty, it's filthy? No. It, it, I mean, that sounds good, but, but the truth is, is because you are intimately connected with Christ. And any relationship you have outside of that relationship, that marital relationship, is involving Jesus in that same relationship. You're dragging Jesus through the muck. You're dragging him through the 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 the. The, 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 oh, what word am I thinking of? Through the, the what? Immorality. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's other, I'm sorry, sometimes words escape me. I'm getting old, more ginkgo gubloga or something like that. But anyway, anyway, well, you, you get what I'm saying. It's not just about me because I'm committed to Jesus. I'm looking for the resurrection. It is also taking Jesus through it as well. Now, Later on in verse 18, I think this is important as well. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. That's what verse 18 says. Uh, that, that Paul comes along and said, hey, listen, do not be involved in sexual immorality because sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, it, trying to figure out why Paul is specifically saying this, understanding that at that time the Gnosticism and this idea of freedom had come together. There was this thinking in the Corinthians' mind that within them, within that inner sanctuary, it could not be touched. It was sacred. It was holy. And no sin was able to get it because they're in Jesus. That's how they saw their freedom. That's how they realized their freedom. But in this, Paul's making it very clear that this sexual immorality penetrates every part of you. Every part. With that inner realm as well. It defiles it all. So Paul was making it clear that, 
that when you are bringing another into this relationship, you are defiling Jesus as well. One other point that he makes in this this, this idea of connectedness. When, when we have Jesus living in us, when Jesus Christ is a part of our relationship, the Holy Spirit is, is able to dwell within us because he's the one who sanctifies, who justifies, who washes us. And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell anywhere else unless it is a sacred place. And so through Jesus, the Holy Spirit then indwells in you and, and, he, and Paul reminds him of this. He said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he, he makes that point back in verse 20. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in Jesus. There is no dwelling of sinfulness within you. Now finally, one other point I think is important. And it's in that last phrase uh, there in verse 20. After he says, you are not your own, indwelling of Jesus, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I think this point needs to be made. With our freedom, we purpose to honor God. So, so what do we do with life? What do we do if, if, we, just, if, if, it's, if we don't take our rights and just do anything? What is our purpose? To be honoring of the one who has brought us to the freedom from sin. To, to live for the one who has brought us this freedom. To live and, and to seek to worship him. God called us to be his holy people. The, the same thing that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. The introduction, Paul would write to you and I. Uh, you know, to the church... Uh, called to be, uh, no, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes to the church in Junction City, uh, uh, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be his holy people. That makes you feel pretty good. To those people who are sanctified in Jesus and called to be his holy people. That's our identity in Christ. Sanctified people. It's worth worship, Right? But I don't believe there's any kind of worship if, unless we understand that we have the opportunity in life, in every day, to seek to be honoring of Him. That means being in control of your appetites. That means being in control of the desires that you have and, and learning to live a life that is pleasing before God. That is our worship, isn't it? When we define our worship, we always think worship is we come in here and sing songs with Eric and we'll listen to the preacher, we go home, worship is done. How many of you believe that? Worship is done. Hey, it's, it's on the schedule. We go and start at this time and worship is done at this time. We go home, no more worship till next Sunday. Well, yeah, ho hopefully by now we all understand worship is so much more than that. And, and one of the reasons is because when I go home, guess who's still here? I'm in Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit is still here. And, and so seeking to listen to his voice, to honor what God's word says, and to live a life representing of the one who died for me. That's my worship throughout the week. And it, man, it's, it's, it's spread out in all kinds of ways. Through my work, through what I do in my home. 
how I love my wife, how I love my children, what I do to my neighbor. (laughs) How I treat my neighbor is all about worship. Just want to remind you that, that as Paul speaking about this, one key idea again is not to abuse the the freedom that we have. There is there's a thought, theology out there that just says, "Man, you just say the words, you do the acts, and go have fun with your life." Nowhere in the Scripture will that support that. It is about learning to live this relationship with Christ, with the Holy Spirit's direction. It is learning to live the holiness that we've been given in Christ. We're still working on it, right? We're still moving forward, learning to love. I'm not like Jesus today. I've got a long way to go, people, and you do too. And we're doing that together. I love that part, that, that we have a church around us that we're encouraging and, and loving each other. So, so again, but we don't want to be people who are, are abusing our freedom. We can't indulge our desires, we can't uh, look at that. Paul says it's not beneficial. It's not what we were saved for. We weren't saved so that we could just be, uh, be sinners. We were saved from being sinners. Again, the reason that he gives is Jesus. Bottom line. The reason that we don't continue in, in sinful or sexual immorality is this. Jesus. You were bought with a price. It was his price upon the cross, right? It was, his pro- it was his price that he paid upon the cross. That was your price. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. We praise God for Jesus. We cannot be involved in, thing, in sinfulness. We cannot be involved in sexual immoralities. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word and direction. Lord, sometimes it's just difficult to read and try to comprehend your scriptures. We want to understand. Lord, we don't want to hear Ronnie's voice. We don't want to hear uh, prominent teachers. And what we want to hear when we listen is for your voice, your words to come out of your scripture, to give us direction for life. Help us, Father, uh, even as we go home, to read this scripture again, to, to take it in, Lord, to find strength in it, to be overcomers of the sinfulness that your Son has saved us through. Lord, we praise you again for Jesus. We praise you for the salvation, the forgiveness. We praise you for that freedom that we have. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.